This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, <coughs> excuse me, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. <clears throat> Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and, <clears throat> and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Sham, Ham, and Japheth. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came 
into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. All right, so you should already be in Genesis chapter 5 and chapter 6. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Um, this was where I thought originally that I was going to start preaching when we got into this, and I was like, oh boy, I get to start on genealogy. Genealogies are so much fun. Sorry, I'm just going to kick all these cables all over the place, Nick. There we go. I got to walk all over this place. I don't want to break all this stuff. So uh, this was, you know, and when we, whenever, whenever you get to a section of genealogy, you're like, wow, what are we going to teach from this? Or, man, these are usually just lots of names. These are going to be really boring. What are we supposed to do with this? And... And every time I study genealogies, every time, I mean, if, if you go back to when we were teaching through the book of Matthew and read the whole genealogy of Jesus, there's just so much rich information that can be pulled out of these passages. And it's always super helpful to me just to kind of get a glimpse of who we are as, as God's creation and how God deals with us. And we can always learn these amazing things about who God is and who we are just from reading these lists of names, especially in this section, because then we kind of get this summary statement of what we became at the end of this long list of names, right? We get this picture of, of the state of mankind, the state of humanity, the state of who we were as God's, you know, uh, prized peace in creation, what we were looking like at the time that, that we really did start to fulfill that original order that he gave us. Be fruitful, multiply. Like, like go take over the earth. Go, go spread out. Go, you know, raise big families and, 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 and populate all of my creation. And so we keep, we see this starting to play out this week. And where we left off last week, right, we looked at the descendants of Cain and we saw all of this wickedness and sin that came from his line. And then we saw immediately after Seth was born that people began to believe in God, right? That's right where we left off last week. There was, there was still hope that God was going to be faithful. There was still hope that God was going to bring about restoration. And we see that start to play out as we continue down the line of Seth. We see this long list of names of people who lived for a very long time. I can't imagine what a 900-year-old person would look like. Maybe they aged just differently or something. But part of me, like, does everybody remember Crypt Keeper from... No, I'm too, I'm too old. Like, just, yeah, there you go. Tales from the Crypt. It was this old TV show, and there's this... It's what I would imagine a 900-year-old person would look like that introed all these episodes. You can go look it up online later. Uh, but, but we see all these people who are living very long periods of time and, and having lots of sons and daughters. And I, and I imagine that a lot of the reason they were living as long as they were was so that, that God could could allow them the time it takes to populate an entire planet, an entire, you know, whole of creation. And so lots and lots and lots of people were being born and lots and lots of families were growing and multiplying throughout this time. We just see one line of this, but, but in each of these, we kind of see the same recurring pattern over and over again. Had other sons and daughters, had other sons and daughters. So, so we see that, that the, the, the people are starting to multiply and spread out all across creation 
and we're going to get to it in just a second, but, but as, we, as we spread out, as we multiply more and more, we, and we talked about this last week, we just kind of fall further and further and further into sin. And we kind of see a picture, a summary statement of kind of where that leads. But before we get there, we still see that God is being faithful throughout, throughout His creation and through the lives of the people. If you, if you remember back to last week in Genesis chapter 4, at the end, we read this passage where, where we got down to one of um, Cain's sons named Lamech, and he said to his wives, Aid and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me, right? Down this line, we got to this murderer, this guy who completely devalued humanity, who did not, who did not love anyone, who didn't, who didn't value human life. And we saw just kind of the depths of the despair of sin that they had fallen into. And I think we get this cool kind of balancing point as we come down the line of Seth. And, and I didn't realize this until I was studying this week. These are both the seventh generations of their, their dads. So there's some, there's, some, there's some cool mirroring here that happens. And we get to this guy named, named Enoch who was so close to God that he didn't have to die. That's a really cool place to be, right? He walked with God and then he was not. Right? That's what it says. It says, he walked with God and then God just took him away. And I think it's cool to see that, that God is still building relationships and fostering relationships with his creation. Um, we, we see the depths of sin that we can get into, but we also see the joys of knowing our creator. And we see the relationships that God is still fostering within his creation. And so we, we see this pattern of over and over again, this, this man had this son at this age, and we see this pattern created over and over and over again. Then he, then he had this many sons, and then he lived this long, and then he died. And then he lived this long, and then he died. And then he lived this long, and then he died. But, but what we see is that as we get to the point where man has, has begun to really multiply and really spread out, he's also really starting to demonstrate <laughs> who he is at his core. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the big summary statement that describes all of humanity. That's who we still are. That's who they were then, and we haven't really changed much. Every intention of our heart naturally is evil. And it starts giving us a description of what we saw around there. It said, the sons of, the sons of man took the, took the daughters of God, the sons of God took the daughters of God, and, and, the, and they took as many as wives as they wanted. We see, we see this description of these people called the Nephilim, who were, who were men of valor. And there's, there's all kinds of speculation about, about who these guys can be. We know that they were, they were mighty men of valor. Perhaps they were the giant people that lived in Canaan when Israel was trying to come in and they said, oh, there are giants living there. We don't want to mess with those people. We should run. We should go back to Egypt. We read about that when we were going through uh, the books uh, of the Pentateuch and the book of Joshua that we were reading on Sunday nights. So we know that these guys are here and we know that they are, they are evil. There's all this speculation. Maybe these are like fallen angels who are, who are marrying human women and they're having these kind of hybrid angel human babies. I don't know. I don't, sounds weird, but that is actually part of the speculation. And who knows if maybe that's it, but there is scripture that says the angels don't have wives. They aren't given. They're taken in marriage. So I kind of doubt that that is specifically what it's talking about. But what we see is that, that there's this huge amount of growing evil 
in the world at this time. I think the fact that it says they're, they're, taking, they're taking whichever women they want as their wives is just kind of this picture of these men are just treating women as possessions, as things like, I like that one, I'll have it. I think I like that one too, I'll take that. And again, like we were talking last week where we saw, we saw Lamech saying, you know, I, I don't value human life to the point that if somebody offends me, I'm going to kill them and I'm going to be proud of it. We see these guys now who are starting to devalue the women that are in their lives, right? They're starting to treat them as property. They're starting to not see them as, as, as humans created in the image of God with the same dignity, value, worth that the rest of creation was given, right? I don't think that is something that we fixed even by today. It's just another example of the dismissal of the image of God and man, which is, like I said, the place that we tend to go the further into sin we fall. We stop valuing the creation that God made. We stop valuing the fact that he created us to be like him. We stop valuing human life as a whole. And this takes on, on many different forms. And this idea of, of humanity falling farther and farther into sin should not be surprising. There's so there's this theological idea um, called depravity. This idea that, that not only are we, are we sinful, not only do we do wrong things, it's not just that we make bad choices, but it's that the presence of sin in our lives has corrupted us totally. We are, we are depraved to the point where everything in us is broken. Everything in us is wicked. There is nothing that we can do that is right in ourselves. There's nothing that, that we can muster. There's no amount of, of good deeds that we can do that are actually glorifying to God. In fact, every action that we take is one that is sinful unless it is done through the power of God or through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, if you've studied theology, then you'll have heard the phrase total depravity. And the idea of total depravity is that sin has so completely corrupted us that there is no hope of us accomplishing anything just by what we can muster in ourselves. The effects of sin were something, we're not just something that separates us from God, it corrupts us at the very core. And I'm just going to, I want to read a couple of verses uh, from Romans because I think Paul does a great job in that book to really describe the state that we're in when we're in our sin. And I think this is helpful for us as the church because, because it, it's going to affect the way that we realize what our motivations are. And it helps us to identify what in us is actually in control. Uh, and and, and we'll, we'll work toward a different point in that in just a second. But Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8 says, For the mind, is set on the for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, and this is the important part, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what Paul is trying to say in this verse is, if you are in sin, which you are, if you are human, if, unless you are Jesus, which you are not, which I am not, if we are human and we are corrupted by sin, there's nothing in our flesh that we can do that can please God. We are incapable of pleasing God. You're like, well, that doesn't sound very hopeful. 
That doesn't sound very joyful. But, but the, po- the point is that he's trying to, he's trying to make the point that, that we can't fix this on our own, which is cool because we're going to work towards that in just a second. Romans chapter 14, verse 23. This is the second half of that verse. It says, For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Because you may be asking, you may be saying, but I know lots of people who don't claim Christ that do lots of good things. Is that not good that they're doing? Or, or before I was saved, I really was concerned about fighting for this person or doing this thing that I think are noble. And those things may be noble, and God may be using those actions to bless somebody. But if you're doing it in your own flesh, if you're doing it outside the power of the Holy Spirit, what you're trying to do, being apart from God, you're essentially saying to God, I don't need you to accomplish good things, which is an attitude that is sinful. There's nothing that we can muster apart from the grace of God, outside of God's favor, outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, that is not sin. Am I making sense? Because I, I, And it's important for us to realize this, because if we're going to start talking about grace, and if we're going to start talking about the amazing things that God does for us, and God does for us, through us when he saves us. If we're going to understand those things, it's, it's way more important for us to start by understanding the depths of our depravity prior to that. We've been reading Ephesians chapter 2 uh, a lot together as a church. We've been working on memorizing it on Sunday evenings. Does anybody want to just give it a go? Verses 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians chapter 2. I'm seeing lots of people shaking their heads at me. For you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of the power of the air. Falling course of this world, falling, yeah, see? I put myself on the spot. I shouldn't have done this. Come back tonight. Maybe we can read it once before we pray. But, but that whole passage, I'm just going to read it. I've got to get it right. This is going to kill me if I don't, sorry. You guys get to watch me find it in the Bible now real quick. Ephesians chapter 2. I know I'm going to get myself started, then I'm going to be able to say it. Now it turned to Galatians. That's not helpful. There we go. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I got the end there. Good. Who was saying it along with me that's been here on Sunday night? A couple of you. Good, good, good. We have to understand who we were so that we can get to verse 4. We haven't started reading verse 4 on Sunday nights yet, but that's like the best verse in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, right? He did something about it. He didn't leave us in that place. But before we can get that, if it was just God saved you, it's like, that's great. What does that mean? What have I been saved from? I don't appreciate it in the same way. Right? If you don't realize that you've been saved from something, you're not going to appreciate that you have been saved. And so it's important, like I said, as we're, as we're looking at the state that mankind got to at this point in Genesis, where, where everything is so bad that, that we're, we're not valuing other human life, we're not valuing, uh, the men aren't valuing the women as being made in the image of God in the same way. And everything is just kind of falling apart. Every, every intention of every man's heart is only evil always, right? That's the place that we are. That's the place that we have all been at one point in our lives before we had our hearts changed by the Holy Spirit. We were all in that place. 
And I think it's worth knowing that God noticed it, right? God noticed it. I mean, He was sovereign over all of it. He knew, he knew that this was part of the plan, right? We've talked about God being sovereign and that, that God's not been surprised at any step along the way that this is the point that we got to, right? This has always been plan A, that God would redeem a sinful creation. He wasn't surprised when Adam and Eve sinned, right? He, none, of this, none of this falls outside of His sovereignty, but, but it does not mean he does not see what's going on. And he sees the evil and he says, I'm going to limit man's life to 120 years. I can't have him living this long. Which, which in a sense, if you think about it, is actually a very gracious thing that God did. Instead of letting us live for, for a millennium in sin, instead of letting us live for, what was it? What was, how old was Methuselah? 969 years, right? Instead of living for 969 years, Amidst all this brokenness and all this pain and all this sadness, God says, we got to trim this thing down. We can't have these wicked, sinful people running around the earth for, 120, for, for, for more than 120 years. We're going we're gonna to shorten man's life. And there's, there's, there's some grace in that. But God also feels remorse over the place that it is. Yes, God is sovereign over it. But what do we see? We see God looking at his creation and being grieved over the place to which they have gotten. Right? And the word that it says here, we're, we're, and let's just look at it here real quick. Where God said, where he saw the wickedness of man, that every intention of his heart was on evil only continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. That word for regret is the same word that often gets used to be repent. It's not that he changed his mind, he's like, but he sees it and he's broken over the state that mankind has kind of fallen into. The depravity that they've gotten more deeply, deeply deeply ingrained in. And it hurts him. So I don't want us to see, see God as just creating this thing, letting it get broken just to fix it, but the whole, the whole time he's not emotionally invested in his creation. He didn't detach himself and just kind of let things run for a while so he'd come back in just to look like the victor, just to look like this amazing God worthy of praise, who he is. But at no point, even at this point when we're at our our most sinful, most wicked, darkest point, to the point that he's ready to just start over, wipe everything off, off the face of the earth and just say, let's hit the reset button on this, right? Before, even when he's at that point, he's still saddened by it. He still, he still hurts for his creation. He still does not feel, he's not joyful and cheery in the moment that he decides, I'm going to, to flood the earth and wipe everybody off. Oh, sorry, I said flood. That's next week. Spoilers, Sorry. You probably already knew that, but still. Before he, decide, before he announces that he's, he's going to start over, he, he's grieved over this. He's hurt by it. And, and I don't want us to, to see the, the wrathful side of God without realizing that the wrath of God doesn't come without a care to him. He's still, he's still saddened by the state that we're in. Uh, it's... Like, when you're a kid, you don't understand that. When your parents do the whole, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You're like, I don't believe you. Because <laughs> I got spanked a lot. Amen. Amen. That's a bad kid some of the time. Amen. Some of the time. I just talked a lot. I know that's shocking to you. But I'd say things I shouldn't say at inopportune times. I know. You can't shake your head. 
kind of like this, where I just keep rambling about the same thing and it's time to move on. But like, when you're a kid, you don't understand how can, how can they both be angry with the thing that I'm doing, desiring to, to punish me for the thing that I'm doing, but at the same time be hurt over it. And, and you understand it differently when you're a parent. I know n- most of you are not parents in here, but someday maybe you will understand the pain that you feel when your kid, you know, like lies to you about something or, you know, gets in trouble at school or whatever it may be. And, and you, you have to punish them, but at the same time, and as you punish them, you know, you see, you see the brokenness and the hurt in their eyes as this is happening. And, and it hurts you to have to follow through with that, but it's the way that, that they under, learn to understand the consequences of sin and they learn, to, they learn to repent and apologize and, and you know, be, be reconciled to whoever it is they offended for whatever reason. And I think it's, it's, it's really cool, especially for me as a parent, to see that that's how God is feeling at this point. That he's, that he's hurt over the, the way that things are going, knowing what it is that he's going to be doing next. But he doesn't do it joyfully, right? Sometimes, sometimes our society can paint this picture of, of God in the Old Testament as, you know, the, the mean kid with a magnifying glass on an anthill, right? And all he does is he likes to just burn little things up, and he's having all this fun just kind of, just kind of torching people left and right because he's all full of wrath and he's all full of glee as he's doing it. And that's just not the picture of God that we get when we see God dealing with sin. Our God hurts when we're in sin, that's why he did something about it, because he desired to see us restored and reconciled, right? If, if, he was, if he was joyful about us being broken and him being able to just kind of sit around and pick us off one by one and punish us, I think everything would have played out very differently. I don't think he would have redeemed us. He would have enjoyed where we were because he would have felt satisfied in that. But he doesn't feel satisfied when we're lost in our depravity. Yes, yes, our sin completely corrupts us. Yes, we're broken to the core, but God is hurt over the place that we are. He doesn't enjoy punishing us. He doesn't enjoy the wrath that he has to inflict upon us because we're in sin. He doesn't, he doesn't just remain detached and emotionally disconnected from us. He's invested in his creation. He didn't create us and leave. He created us and stayed. Right? I mean, we talked about it. The moment Adam and Eve sinned and they went and hid, what did God do? He came looking for them. Nick mentioned it first thing this morning. He, he made them close. He offered them hope right away. And, and we can't lose sight of the big picture that, that from the very beginning, even when everything was broken, hope was already promised. God was like, I'm not going anywhere. And that's a really cool thing that I think we as the church need to learn to do better as well. Um, we get to minister to lots of different people just by virtue of where our church has been placed, where God put us. Uh, I think, didn't you say, uh, Steve came in for band practice the other night? If you, haven't met, if you haven't met Rock and Roll Steve, Rock and Roll Steve is amazing. He's very energetic, very fun to be around. Lots of finger pointing. How you guys doing? But, but just 
at any given moment, anybody could come walking in to this building. And, and it's so easy for our society and our culture now to just dismiss people who are different from us and say, I don't want to be around them, they're different. Or I don't want to be around them, they've done this. Those people are in that kind of sin, and I don't want to be a part of it. That person's gotten themselves thrown in, in jail. Good riddance, I don't want to be around them, they should be there, that's where they deserve to be. And I think that is just not the picture of how God deals with people who are in sin. People are in sin, and God stays there with them. We get worse, God doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't detach, He doesn't leave. And I think that that's something for us to really lock in on. This idea that, that even though we are around sinners, we should expect that they would continue to sin. And when they sin, we don't just say, oh, I'm done with you. Go away. Sure, there may be consequences to their sin. They may end up getting thrown in jail. They may end up they may end up getting cast out of some, some area that, that had been helping serve them, or they may lose their housing, or they may lose their job. And those kinds, of, those kinds of consequences are sensible and just and right in a lot of cases. But that doesn't mean that we have to detach ourselves from them. One of the hardest things that we can often have to teach somebody who has only ever known sin and rejection because of the sin that's present around them is that we're not going anywhere. And I think that that's the cool thing for us to start seeing in God, is that even though we were in sin, and even though He's going he's gonna to do something really drastic to course-correct creation, He's still involved intimately in His creation. We're about to get to the best verse of this whole passage in just a second. But what we see is that God, He doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't leave. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, they messed this whole thing up. I'm out. I'm going to go start me a new creation over here in this parallel dimension. He doesn't do that sort of thing. This was the creation, this was the plan, and this is where it is that he is going to stay intimately focused and connected. And that's what we should be like too. We should be known as a people who, even though we are invested in the lives of people who are sinners, when they continue to sin, we don't run. We stay invested. We're still there for them. One of the things, um, if you have attended like a trauma-informed care training, which several of us have, um, if you haven't, we should have another one sometime, or you should find one. Uh, they're getting taught a lot more often now. Uh, one of the things you learn about in, in trauma-informed care training is that, that most people who have experienced lots of trauma in their lives have only known this idea of, I did something wrong, you're probably going to throw me out. You're probably going to reject me. You probably don't want to be around me anymore. And that's where we as the church can step in and say, no, 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 yeah, well, you have done something wrong, but I'm still here. And I think this I'm still here for you mentality is something that we so need to get ingrained in who we are as believers. Because, because when you talk to people who have had minimal experience with the church or poor experiences with the church, what is the first thing they say? I used to go to church, but they judged me too much. I used to go to church, but they saw that I was doing this and they kicked me out. They didn't want to be around me. And I think sometimes that's people not hearing the message the right way because they don't, they don't understand what we're trying to say well. Sometimes, and most of the time, it's probably we're not doing a good job of communicating to them that yes, they are in sin. Yes, I think the thing you're doing is sinful, but I'm still here for you and I still value you as a human and I still want to love you and serve you in whatever way that I can and hopefully show you the value of Jesus over your sin that you're currently trapped in.
That's who God is, and that's why we should be those kind of people. We should, we should understand brokenness. We should understand sinfulness. We should understand depravity. But we should also understand that even in our depravity, God didn't run away from us. God didn't leave us there. In fact, when we get to verse 8, it says, right after God said, I will blot out man who I have created from the face of the land, man and animal, creeping things, the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made him. He's saying, I'm going to wipe it all out. I've got to start over. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So here's the thing that we're going to see next week. Next week, when we start reading, it's going to talk about Noah being a righteous man and all of creation. He's the, he's the righteous one. But I don't want you to think that what that's saying is because Noah was doing good things, God picked him to save the world through. Because that's not what we see. We see that all of creation, the wickedness of man was great, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is a blanket statement. All of mankind was in sin. All of mankind was broken. All of mankind was doing evil. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Then we're going to get all these verses about, God, about Noah being a righteous man after he found favor with God. I don't want you to think, oh, so if I'm doing okay, good things, then God's still going to pick me to save the world when he tries to wipe everybody out again. No. God picked Noah. God found favor with Noah. That phrase, found favor, is the same phrase that can be used to say the word was shown grace. It's the idea of grace. Found favor is used in Ruth, and this, I have this verse up here, Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. So, so just to paint a picture, first of all, I love the book of Ruth. Ruth is probably one of my favorite books in the whole Bible because it is a beautiful picture of the gospel in four chapters. Study Ruth sometime. Ruth chapter 2, uh, you, have, you have this, this immigrant girl who's from another country who's lost everything and come back to Israel to try to find a place to live and a way to survive. And she's out just kind of picking up the scraps in the fields so that she can find enough food for her mother-in-law and herself. And she's just crawling around on the ground picking up this. And, and a guy who just so happens, which I love when the Bible says just so happens, because it's not really just so happens, but, but just so happens to see her, happens to be the person who, who legally was, was allowed to marry her and redeem her and make her, make her complete again, sees her and says, I want to do something for you. I want to make sure that you get enough food. Hey, follow this guy really closely. If you get thirsty, come grab some water. We'll take care of you. And, and in, verse, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10, it says, She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? What she's saying is, why are you showing me this grace? And that's the same thing that happened with Noah, is that, that God saw Noah and decided to show him grace. He found favor with Noah. Noah isn't out doing anything to earn this, just like Ruth in, in Ruth chapter 2 isn't out trying to get Boaz's attention. She's just trying to survive. And yet this guy sees her and says, I want to do something amazing for you. I want to do something great for you. I want to do something amazing through you. And that's what God is doing with Noah. Yes, 
When we are in our sin, we are trapped in our sin, and there is nothing that we can do to get out. But that God finds favor in us and does something amazing through us, showers us with his grace, makes us new, makes us alive, gives us hope. You may be saying, but but if I don't do anything good, how do I find favor with God? And that's the whole point. You don't. He picks us. Everything that we would do naturally is sin. Everything that we do is sin. If you want to use it in a, in a but what about, what about my choices? What about the things that I choose to do good, choose to do bad? Everybody gets a choice, but because of sin, everybody chooses wrong. Everybody chooses sin. You want, you want free will. You can have free will. You're going to hell. If you get what you want, you don't get Jesus. Jesus is the one who takes away our free will. Those who are saved have had our free will taken from us when God says, no, I'm not going to leave you doing what you want to do. I'm taking you away from the desires of your flesh and I'm giving you a new heart, a new life, and a new set of goals and aspirations and passions. That's what grace is. It is a usurping of our free will. It is a taking us away from who we would be naturally and putting us on a new course that we did not ourselves choose. And that's what's happening with Noah here. And that's what God is demonstrating in his creation here, that he's not, he's not going to overlook the sin, but, but through one man and through that one man who is still a son of Adam and a son of Eve, through whom a promised redeemer would come. This is why God couldn't wipe us out and start over, because he'd already made a promise. And what we know about God is he doesn't go back on his promises. If he says he's sending a redeemer, he sends a redeemer And he's still continuing to redeem even in this moment through Noah. And if we are saved, that's what he's done in us. It's not because of anything we did. It's not because of any good action we ever took. It's only because of the grace of God that he didn't leave us in our sin, but he pulled us out of that life and put us on a new course. And that is an amazing thing that if you are saved and you understand should lead you to worship and praise and rejoicing all the days of your life. It should not lead you down a path where you you are tempted to say, oh, I I don't want to be around these kinds of people. Those kinds of people are, are sinful and wicked. No, no, no. Because we understand what God did. He came to the sinful and wicked people and pulled us out of it. And that should change how we love and value and and continue to invest ourselves in the lives of others. If you don't know Jesus, if you are unsaved, if this isn't really a part of who you are, and you're like, well, I still do good things, let me remind you what we said for what, in Romans 14, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I know you may feel like you are doing good. I know you may feel like you are doing just things. But if you are not doing them through the power of the Holy Spirit, if Christ is not in you and he hasn't changed your heart, then you're still doing everything for yourself and your own glory, and it's still sin. 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves you, sent his son so that he could pull you out of that sin and set you on a new course. Just like he is doing with Noah, just like we will continue to see as we move forward, as he continues to move through this story, this this perfect, beautiful plan of redemption that he's playing out in Genesis.